Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I am Katie May, 87, Blue Eyes 878, Crazy in Kewl, I don't know, 2024, among many other screen names and aliases I use to both allure, captivate, and catfish uh, my ideal lovers in my youth. I am also known as Kate Kennedy. I am the host of this podcast. I am a lover of pop culture and both current and nostalgic zeitgeist. And last week, kind of on a whim, I crowdsourced a question that uh, just asking people what they did to make people jealous in their youth. It's like so cringy and embarrassing now. And it, I don't know, it was just a cornucopia of delightful embarrassment and reflection. And the stories just got better somehow as uh, the week went on and people were emailing in more stuff. So I had to do another episode about this. And I also had to start with the AOL instant messenger sounds because they're so they're so remarkably triggering. Like there there is no high so great as a door opening on a buddy list and a, a low so deep in despair as your crush signing off before they say hello to you. Because God, I would, I would never, I would never. I am somebody first. No, no, no. I, I would sit and park and wait and look out of the corner of my eye for a blinking minimized window hoping that the love of my life would notice i too was online and i may be away but i was an idol uh and my away message was so deep so meaningful so heartfelt that they would be inclined to fall in love with me and i am me and obviously cement our relationship digitally the way it belongs i wanted to play those noises because i just think that it's the perfect example i, I did this in an early episode too like three years ago figured I'd do it again since so many of these <laughs> stories have to do with AOL Instant Messenger, but also kind of makes me laugh because my, so my podcast theme song, it's a song I licensed from like a royalty free music website that it's, it, it sounds so similar to honestly, Little Mix's Black Magic. That's the song I want. And that's like my perfect bubblegum pop song. Uh, and it's just so happy. And, and then, but then I heard the door close and my mood changed. It's, it's, it's trig triggering. Like, okay, your crush signs on. You feel like you're on a Mario star. You feel like this. All the girls on the but then you wait, to, you know, that till he says hi like a lady. He never says hello. All of a sudden, abruptly signs off. Night ruined in despair. And all of a sudden, you're very much like... This is even more fitting than you know, because at one point somebody does a uh, stage of death. So anyway, <laughs> there's a lot to look forward to in this episode. I was cracking up uh, and just wanted to bring us back to this vulnerable, vulnerable place of digital communication and coded away messages that we all thought we so cleverly uh, executed a la Taylor Swift capitalizing letters in an album leaflet. Quick reminder that uh, I have a live show coming up virtually on locationlive.com slash be there in five it's called bar cart sports featuring march madness i'm doing a whole lot of things We're, i'm bringing back the be there in five original reminder mats for the first time in years uh we have a bunch of like new merch stuff and this like one thing i've been working on for like months um and people that are the show get first access if you recall i severed ties with our merch provider due to them having kind of loose uh standards for what they will print and i just the qa piece i just did not understand for example printing t-shirts for incredibly hateful things that people wore to the um uh you know insurrection at the capitol for example 
So the past several months, I've been trying to figure out a new solution. This will be a little different in terms of like quantities and everything. Uh, so I just don't know, really know what it's going to look like. So um, yeah, you'll get first dibs if you're at the show with the mats and the merch. Um, but beyond that, it's just like going to be a good time. It's like new material. I'm doing it from like a sports angle. It's just kind of a funny theme that I'm running with and I'm having a great time making it. And um, I don't know. I just hope you'll join me. I, I miss touring so much and interacting with people. And like you guys were so funny last time in the chat in November. And I'm excited to like engage with you all in a different way. And uh, it's kind of hard that this podcast, like I just, I don't know. I, I just love the idea of doing it live and having you be there live. And I don't know, it's special to me. So I don't know. I'm told that the there's bandwidth caps, but like I just don't, you know. And anybody that works with me, don't be mad at me for saying this. I just don't know if I'm that big of a star. So, like, it's fine if I don't want to. <laughs> like, like it's not urgent, I don't think. I'd love for you to buy a ticket and prices go up day of. But, like, I think we'll be good. I hope so. I mean, I don't. It's like I should manifest that, we, that like, it'll get cut off. But, anyways, on location live slash be there in five. Barcard Sports. It's going to be a good time. Call her chatty. All right. So, in case you weren't here last week, just to give you a recap. I'm not going to talk your ear off here too much. I, I mean, I will, don't get me wrong, but like, I mean, you know, no intro, no lead up. We'll just get into it because this is kind of a continuation of last week's episode, which it was called Pussycat Dull, um, what, where I read the cringy things people did to get attention, uh, to make people jealous. The prompt was, what's something embarrassing or cringy you did to make someone jealous? And they were so funny. And if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and do it. It's more fun when I'm with somebody and I'm reading with my sister and we tell a lot of our own stories. But there were more emails and I was trying not to look at the Facebook post as it came in because I wanted to be surprised as I read it, but then we ran out of time. So I'm going to go through some of those at the beginning of today. And then there was also a prompt that I did one day when I was kind of busy on Instagram. Um, so I didn't share enough of them, but the, I got like <laughs> over a thousand responses of things that are embarrassing but shouldn't be or things that are embarrassing for no reason and I thought it kind of went well with this sort of cringy behavior thing because awkwardness never leaves us guys you know uh, there's certain there's minutiae and levels of detail in life that are just universally funny and universally experienced and their universal nature should uh, negate the embarrassment but just somehow it like almost <laughs> amplifies it and I love talking about this level of granularity of our existence. This is also a big reason why I like TikTok. TikTok romanticizes the mundane. TikTok is where people thrive with no makeup on, looking, you know, however they want, speaking to you in a heartfelt way that doesn't feel overly curated. Uh, people telling me how, you know, things in their home that just make sense or do, you know, putting so much effort and care into filming themselves cooking one passing meal. I really genuinely believe um, like people who are observant and detailed and uh, think about the discomfort of these weird social interactions or try to, you know, be an architect of their destiny at a young age because they're so fundamentally hopeful. Like, I just think there's a certain type of person that like so many of you are and that just has this incredible ability to find the extraordinary and the ordinary and I think that's an incredible quality about somebody two of the things I like most in people are curiosity and the ability to enjoy things that might not be exciting or exhilarating to another person but that can delight in 
you know, cringy nostalgia or weird social interactions or like a freaking box of radioactive orange mac and cheese. Like it's these little things that I think are such providers of joy. And uh, I mean, the stories you guys provided are certainly no exception. So yeah, first we'll go through um, some of the cringy stories with romantic interests. And then I, I don't know if I explained the embarrassing, talk about uh, the embarrassing thing well. Um, like, okay, it, it, things that are embarrassing, but shouldn't be like an example that somebody submitted that made me laugh really hard was like <laughs> walking back to the group after bowling. Like, yes, that's that horrible. Especially if you're a bad bowler. It's essentially a runway, like communion in a sense, right? Where all eyes are on you in the center of the ring, just like a circus. Because like, I mean, if, if there are bumpers, I mean, walking back to the group, I'm a regular Giselle, but if without the like side things they're called bumpers right uh which I, like growing up i just thought that like that was normal then all of a sudden i went to adult bowling and like everybody was like raw dogging it i don't know if that's like not the right use of that at all you know what i mean though and i'm like oh god we're doing we're, we're doing this um but like if for if the ball to go straight for a poor bowler like myself i i have to do the embarrassing thing where you have to bend over and like toss it between my legs and I turn around it's like well geez get your mind and my ball out of the gutter please this is embarrassing on so many levels I mean this is weird that in the one minute time frame I did think of two Britney Spears circus references but there are two types of people in the world in addition to like I always say the ones that entertain and the ones that observe do you put the names in right when you get there and like obsessively tell people it's their turn and like you know really uh, micromanage the bowling process or do you Never pay attention when it's your turn. Let other people go for you. Focus on the snacks. You know, park at the high top in the back. I'm the latter. I don't think bowling's that great. I, I I kind of, I don't know. I just feel like the type of person that's good at adult bowling is just, I, I don't want people to give me the sad eyes when I get a gutter ball because it's like, I don't really care, but it is still, again, embarrassing for no reason, which is the point. So I'll go through those a bit later. But first, back to the things we did to make people jealous so this is an email the person starts with saying i have too many of these anecdotes to count uh, my childhood best friend skated right past her awkward stage and was very pretty by eighth grade most be nice i on the other hand had a gap between every tooth sorry i'm just in my chair the three missing front teeth they pulled my baby teeth because they weren't coming out so i could get braces but once they pulled them they're like oh your adult teeth are way up there so it's gonna be a while it was three years toothless why was there not an x-ray Oh my God, Wyatt, bless your heart. That seems like wrong. That seems like lawsuit material. Like if you or, or a loved one has gone toothless for too long, you may be entitled to financial compensation. <sighs> Sorry, Bob and Weave out of my own commentary in the email, but I try to change tone so you know which is which. She, I also missed a line where she said she had pyramid hair, which, um, God bless, you know, it takes a while to find, you know, to, to, to define your curls, to find a diffuser. Whenever I think of triangle hair, for some reason, I think of Pepper Ann. You remember Pepper Ann? But it was more her bangs that were triangular. Pepper Ann, Pepper Ann, seventh grade. You know? She was on, I think, it was at Disney's One Saturday Morning or NBC's. NBC was like, hang time, hang it together. And like, C-I-T-Y, you can see why. And Boy Meets World and stuff. And then I think Pepper Ann was Disney. But then if I, th the problem is when I get into a theme song tangent, I start to group things together and then I cannot remember where they're from because Pepper Ann leads me to cartoons, which leads leads my brain to like 
Let's all go to Gala Gala Island. Gala Gala. Binya Binya. And it's like that weird lizard in the corner. Remember on Nick Jr.? <laughs> So sorry. <laughs> Tell me you stayed home sick from school a lot <laughs> without telling me you stayed home sick from school a lot. I watched a lot of Nick Jr. in my day. Anyway, back to the story. So your best friend was frustratingly pretty. You had triangle hair and unfortunately were left toothless and something I still think is worth investigation. Uh, but then you're back to the email. Anyway, she was pretty. I wasn't quite there. She had a boyfriend. I did not. I did, however, have my first boy who would chat me on AIM. He was from another school. No, seriously, he was. I was about to say, I bet. Uh, had never actually met me, but we were talking. He had broke things off with me, and my childhood best friend and I convinced her boyfriend to pretend he was my boyfriend. As in, I put him as my number one on my top eight on MySpace, and he did the same. Would give him things to post on his MySpace, our initials, and the day we started dating, and if they weren't his own words, as if they were his own words, and he would follow through. Man was so whipped, pretending to date a severely awkward 12-year-old because his girlfriend asked. I hope he's doing well. That is a really sweet story. God bless him. It's amazing what people will do for you when you're pretty. <laughs> um, some of my earliest memories are literally having cr crushes on boys. Yeah, I'm talking three years old. Yeah, I, I remember as early as kindergarten. Hormones were just raising, I suppose. Anyways, I enter kindergarten and meet who would be my crush for the next nine years. We'll call him John. Everyone in my family, everyone in my class knew about this crush. My now fiancé knows about this crush. Why? We were flipping through yearbooks at my parents' house one time, and I noticed John signed a few of mine from kindergarten through fourth grade. Only I remembered very quickly he did not, in fact, sign them. No, I did. I forged his signature in my own yearbook to play pretend with myself that John wanted me to have a good summer. Hangs. <laughs> That's so sweet. I'm surprised it wasn't glots, you know? Uh, the story... It's about the same crush as above story, John. Kindergarten through eighth grade crush. We did a time capsule project in sixth grade where we had to answer a number of questions. We have a color, band, movie, etc. And we buried the answers in a time capsule in the garden that I think we're supposed we were supposed to dig up in a few years. John said his favorite song was Ocean Avenue by Yellow Card. <laughs> Nothing makes me more mad than hearing Ocean Avenue sung in a karaoke bar. <laughs> if I could find you now! I was like, shut up! There's so many better choices. <laughs> uh honestly you'll almost never catch me singing a unless it's a ha like a hamilton song a male sung track in a karaoke bar i feel like um this is at the height of their popularity the band is actually from our hometown oh sorry um i take it back did you grow up on ocean avenue <laughs> how exciting um uh, a full two years later i got to meet yellow card when they played in town because my violin teacher also taught the violinist in the band i brought yellow construction paper backstage and had them sign an autograph for me and addressed and one addressed wait i brought yellow construction paper that's amazing also construction paper lol uh backstage and had them sign an autograph for me and one addressed to john because i remember he liked the song ocean avenue during the time capsule project from two years ago john was not stoked <laughs> when i gave him the autograph at school the next day it severely creeped him out I pretended my favorite color was red for six years because John's favorite color was red. Oh my god, loving you was red. Does that song mean so much to you? Um, last one I'll share, short and sweet, made my AIM screen name. <laughs> S0CC3R, so we're spelling soccer, but with zero and three. Um, A11 star, 567. Because my kindergarten through eighth grade crush played soccer. I never had in my life. 
And it's like really hard to read. It's like soccer all star five six seven, but the O is a zero, the E is a three, and the L's are ones. <laughs> so you made your screen name soccer all star, and you didn't play soccer. Say it's like pulling teeth, but I fear it's too soon. I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. I mean, it's not funny. I, I gather you have a sense of humor about the toothlessness, and you were wronged by that dentist, and I would still seek justice if I were you. I don't know what the statute of limitations is in orthodontia, but my God, you were done dirty. Um, bless your heart. This, all of that was so funny and sweet, and I just, my God, where's John today? I'm going to email you back right now, actually, because I need to know where he is, what he's doing. I hope that he is, I mean, the dear John of it all. I hope he sees you shining like fireworks over his sad, empty town. Because I just feel like, I don't know, it's the lack of gratitude for me. Not only did you remember his favorite band two years ago, not only did you color coordinate and bring a yellow piece of construction paper, which we all know is unpleasant to carry because it is really rough on the hands and it's a little bit nails on a chalkboard for me to touch construction paper if I'm honest um you color coordinated you waited backstage to get yourself an autograph but 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 you're crushed too and they're from your hometown I mean I I don't think that's a stretch and I think he's very uh, ungrateful and happiness begins with gratitude according to Turtle Creek Lane and my conjecture is that he's currently a basement curmudgeon but I'll need you to confirm. A lot of high school mega hotties turn into basement curmudgeons. But I'll also email you back. Oh my god, bless your heart. But it is relatable. Um, <laughs> the favorite color got me. And the two screening, the soccer all-star. If you want to see if you're like soccer gal and you're like, oh, I like watching the World Cup. But like soccer all-star not only implies you play, it implies you're at the top of your field. <laughs> or the soccer field, rather. <laughs> Honestly, I, like, feel compelled to name this episode after you. Like, I just am so moved. I just want, I just, like, you're so sweet. And I just am so mad at him for not giving you the time of day. And you you were so committed for so long. <laughs> you poor witch. <laughs> Your own hobbies, interests, favorite colors. Oh, my God. <clears throat> I think you're an all-star. Twinkle, twinkle. S0, CC3R, A11, star. <laughs> Oh my god, you were the best. That that was good for my soul. <clears throat> also, I so when I try to not read stuff till I record, it's a problem because I know I don't always enunciate well, and it's hard to understand me when I'm laughing. I can't ever decide to prioritize the diction or my reaction. Bear with me. Some of these I just uh, was not expecting. Next story. My two BFFs and I used to tie up our home phone lines by leaving on AIM with flirty away message. Flirty away messages. Comic Sans alternating different colored font and all, obviously. One of my BFFs had a Jeep that we cruise around the local cruising spot. Is that a thing with the top down? We thought it was hilarious when we chipped in to buy an inflatable male doll from Spencer's and take him around with us. <laughs> he was a white male with only briefs on. Being 17, 18 years old, of course we named him Dick. Our aim away messages were like, like love hanging out with Dick, TM. Out for the night with Dick, TM, and having so much fun. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that was a thing at one point. Like, for people, people to, like, make blow-up doll jokes or, like, have one around. 
and of course you gave him a pervy name that kind of served a dual purpose of like you know outside of the you know intellectual property claim uh could debatably be you getting some you know you always want to have double meanings <laughs> also spencer's is like the worst but i mean like maybe the best because i never really spent much time in one because i wasn't allowed to go in there and in general i feel like my essence is a little bit more like rain sticks and uh, you know, polished rocks in velveteen bags of the natural wonders than it is like whoopee cushions at the Spencer gifts. But sometimes I do wonder if the entirety of my early sex ed was taught to me by shot glasses at the Spencer gifts and or the more adult mature merch at, you know, seaside uh, chain stores like the Wings. Uh, both sell a lot of stuff with pervy humor and I learned a lot about slang and the like. Next story is... My ex and I had just broken up, and his fraternity was hosting a bachelor-style fundraiser where they were making single guys go on stage and women could bid on them to win a date. Gross. <laughs> I, feel like that, I feel like that business model is still alive and well for, like, charity functions. I didn't plan on going, but decided to when I saw that his name was added to the roster. Ooh, that stings. Uh, like, women bid on him. Oh, God, that's Miz. I convinced the new guy I was making out with to go with me, and we sat in the front row. <laughs> I even sat on his lap while my ex was on stage. If anything, I think it made him happy with his decision to break up with me. Embarrassing. That is relatable. It's something I totally would have done. Uh, isn't it weird? To, like, I feel like, you know, a lot of you probably consider yourself decent people. It's hard to look back when you use people as, like, pawns, right? It's, it's, it's bad. Okay. Next story. Wait, I need to turn off my HVAC. Then next story. A girl we were friends with named Katie liked a boy and that just wasn't noticing her because we were all of 11 years old. During my formative years, my mom was a frequent consumer of soap operas, so I developed a flair for theatrics and was a dramatic child. I devised a, th a scheme to get his attention by staging Katie's death? What? What? We had her lie down at the edge of a retention pond? and instructed her to look dead. We wet her hair to imply that she had tragically been befallen an untimely death by drowning and snapped a pick. Unfortunately, this was 1998, so we had to wait until we could make it to a Walgreens to have it developed. When we eventually produced this evidence to her crush and explained the horrific events that had caused her demise, he kind of just handed back the picture and said, okay. There was no hand-wringing or pleading. Why, God, if I'd only known then what I know now. He didn't fall in love with her as I predicted such grief would make him do. <laughs> it was not nearly as romantic or bittersweet as I thought it would be. I'm not sure what I thought would have happened. <laughs> had my plan worked. Did I think she would eventually run to him and wipe away his tears so he would know she was, in fact, alive in front of him as a whole girl and not the ghost of a scorned lover? I'll never know. Oh my god. <laughs> what? 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 This is the weirdest story. <laughs> okay, sorry. I feel like that was inaudible. She said, when we eventually produced to these, this evidence to her crush and explained the horrific events that caused her demise, he just kind of handed back the picture and said, okay, there was no hand-wringing or pleading, why God, if I had only known then what I know now, he didn't fall in love with her as I had predicted such grief would make him do. <laughs> it's like funny and so bad. It's like, it's like you think about 
like yeah if you had actually like done something to try like fake her getting hurt and she really did how bad it would be or like how horrifying it would be for like a parent to find those pictures but like it's also so funny at how uh, you know precise and planned and and uh deliberate you were in your execution of uh you know a fake death yet you didn't you really didn't think this was a long game of how this romance would blossom in the absence of painting her like a religious figure like on the third day she rose from the dead like like or also like i just i need more information eventually he found out she was alive did he not he must have not believed you right i don't know it's so funny it's so insane and i also love that you didn't do it for yourself you did it for your friend like yeah it was it weird to stage your friend's death yeah did you do it for the right reasons absolutely <laughs> that was too good stomach hurts um kate i had such a crush on sorry so <laughs> He took her down by the pond <laughs> and she like did it like what was she thinking this whole <laughs> um he didn't react i just <laughs> that's like so <laughs> like she was already feeling rejected enough but like for you to literally die <laughs> and nobody cares like he's gonna miss me when i'm gone like no he doesn't you have tangible proof <laughs> Uh, and I love the soap opera anecdote. Oh my god. Kate, I had such a crush on a boy that I went down a very long and potentially insane road of aim away message crafting to make me seem like a really hot commodity and make my crush jealous. I wanted it to seem like another cool boy liked me, obviously. I then created an entire profile dedicated to Xander, <laughs> a lacrosse player who obviously went to a different school. Obviously. <laughs> I would create messages in the red and blue text between me and Xander, Planning our weekend plans, basement parties at his house, duh, and post those as my away message. I went so far that I actually created a profile for this guy, including quotes and sports references so that it seemed legit, and would sporadically sign online as him in case anyone was fact-checking my messages. I mean, you gotta cover your bases. I, I get it. If only the gal, the last gal did with fake death. <laughs> did it work? No. The only people who asked me about Xander were my gal pals. So while they weren't out, so while they went out shopping to an actual, or to an actual party, I had to sit at home and do nothing while pretending to be at a cool party with kids from a different school. I honestly thought it was a genius at the time. Oh, it's so relatable. I understand. I really do. I, I tried, I went to great lengths, uh, verbally, not physically, to make people think I had another lover, perhaps in an uh, East Coast beach town I had visited. Maybe I met him by the shot glasses at the wings. I was always jealous of the girls who played soccer because they always seemed to meet cute boys through like club soccer and i went so far as to having like never played soccer except i did play like ymca youth soccer in like first and second grade like you know run of the mill was there for the orange slices uh but then like in seventh grade to fit in and to be around my friends because they were telling so many inside jokes and like there's nothing worse other than faking your own death <laughs> um there's nothing worse than being left out of inside jokes like that is a driving factor for young people it's like if if you miss like if your mom doesn't let you go to one sleepover if you're not on the sports team if you miss one trip there's just a lot at stake and your entire life becomes a had to be there story and i know rascal flats you know liked their world from the outside looking in the carrot top who can barely walk of it all but i wanted to be on the inside looking out and uh, for one month's time Prior to tryouts, I decided I'm going to make this like club soccer team. And it was like a competitive team. Like they traveled. It, it took sk actual skill. My friends had played for years. 
Um, and I will go in my backyard. I th- it was, I think, all of September. I can still smell the the wet grass on an early fall evening. I can still feel the crisp air that was, uh, I can best describe as long sleeve shirt weather. And I would just, like, in, in like long grass, I would just like, I would just dribble. Is that what it's called with your feet? Is it, wait, hold on. Is it called dribble? Wait, hold on. Dribbling? Wait, hold on. When you kick it back and forth between each foot? But why is it not? That doesn't sound right. I think it's dribbling. I, it, I just didn't think you have basketball, but that, yeah, that's the right term. I don't know. I hate sports so much, I wouldn't even see Mary-Kate Nash movie switching goals. I was like, no, too much sports for me. When my two idols cross over to soccer territory, count me out. Uh, but, you know, potential to travel and being on inside jokes, potential to meet boys at the club soccer. Like, I will d- dedicate my entire life to soccer. It, it's, we have priorities. Uh, but anyway... I, yeah, I, every night I dribbled, I would kick the ball against my house when my parents weren't home because they didn't like me when I kicked the ball against my house. I like, I liked playing sports. I don't love gyms and stuff, but I liked playing sports once I found my sport and I didn't find volleyball until like eighth grade, I don't think. But I had to go through a lot of sports to find my thing. But, you know, my parents would let me quit so long as I tried. But the thing is, they didn't want me joining this travel soccer team because they didn't want to... It was a fortune. They'd have to travel all the time. And I didn't play soccer, which is funny because now that I'm thinking about it, that's crazy. It wasn't for a crush. But I'm no better than S-O-C-C-3-R-A-1-1-S-T-A-R-5-6-7. Um, anyways, it's just like it, my heart hurts when I think back to me trying to dribble with no skills or training in my backyard in the wet grass uh, until like bedtime because I was like... I, I, it was probably main character. I was like a movie. I thought I was training like Rocky and I just still was bad. And I like, I'm so embarrassed and shudder when I think about going to that tryout and just being so out of my league. Like I remember leaving that tryout and I just stared out the window and I didn't say a word to my friends in the car. And I was like, why did I, what am I doing? Like, I don't, I honest to God, I don't think I even knew to bring shin guards. <laughs> like, it's so, it's so dark. Um, anyway, I am you, you guys are me. We are, we are the same. The next email says, when I was 14, I told my friends I was dating a guy I met at summer camp whose father may or may not be the current postmaster general. IDK if that's okay to share because public figure, but I wanted to get that off my chest. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Are you being facetious? Wait, the post, like the the email person? Wait, what? When I was 14, I told my friends I was dating a guy I met at summer camp whose father may or may not be the current postman. Oh, the postman. <laughs> when I read that, is I thought it, I thought I thought you told your friends your camp boyfriend's dad was the mailer demon. <laughs> you know when you send an email to the wrong address and the mailer demon, this like universal creature that like agnostic of any server writes you an email. Like who the f is the mailer demon? And where does he come from? Um, I don't know why. I, I thought that was what you meant by Postmaster General. Wow. So you told your friends that the head of the United States Post Office was your boyfriend's dad. What I can't gauge is if you're telling the truth or not. You're, you, you just said that, right? Because if if you're lying, that's like very funny because... <laughs> Like, while that is an esteemed position, it's, like, very random for a 14-year-old to choose and to identify as elite. I mean, you know, I love mail as much as the next guy, but um, I don't know if I would have thought of that. I might have said, like, something more along the lines of, like, a toaster strudel, you know? 
Or like the gal in the last episode said she was Emma Bunton's cousin thinking it wasn't traceable. Honestly, at the time, I probably just didn't correct people when they thought it was a Kennedy. I was like, yeah, sure. That makes me more interesting. Like, do you want to date or nah? <laughs> I don't think it really worked. It is, it's like, it is kind of, I mean, Kennedy's a very common name, but like, it is funny how everyone, everywhere you go is asking you. And I've said it once, I'll say it again. Ma'am, if I was one of the Kennedys and I was fresh off the private jet from Hyannisport with Connor Ethel and the gang, I would not be here at the CVS combining 15 receipts to make the most out of my extra bucks to buy some drugstore cosmetics. But people never learn. <laughs> Postmaster General Miller Damon. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Where was I? Uh, in seventh grade, my boyfriend, who we'll call Alfred, was a huge nerd like myself. And by boyfriend, I mean that we went one time to a strip mall chain restaurant with our friends on a date and talked on the landline phone several times a week. His biggest personality trait was a love of the Florida Gators. We lived in Arkansas. Literally, the boy solely wore officially branded merch to the point that I don't, I truly don't think he owned anything else except maybe his jeans, but only because the Gators didn't sell any. The most super fan you could possibly be when you're 13 in 2002. A kind of friend of mine who we'll call Annie also apparently had a crush on him. This was obviously in the heyday of AIM and decked out her away message to have a countdown of the number of days Alfred and I had been dating in Florida Gator blue and orange with the note, number of days since my heart has been broken. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was in Gator font, alternating gaps, number of days since my heart has been broken. The number of days that she had been dating Alf Alfred, right? I mean, she's about as slick as Taylor Swift capitalizing the letters to maple lattes and all too well, like easy code to crack. So funny. The real kicker is the girl didn't stop until I graduated from high school and moved away. Alfred and I split ways as middle school love often does, but unfortunately Annie and I did not. Every single date or boyfriend I had for the next five years, I had apparently stolen from her. What? This resulted in her hooking up with a shockingly high number of people I'd previously hooked up with or my exes, including having sex with my date to my own after homecoming birthday party on my own trampoline as juniors in high school. Fortunately, she's never met my husband, I think, dot, dot, dot. Oh, cliffhanger. Wait, Annie. I mean, Annie, are you okay? Uh, that, is that normal? Have other people experienced that? I've heard of, like, sisters having competition, uh, like, at this level, but it, it is kind of, it's an interesting dynamic that something could start out so young and, and follow you through life. And it's it's interesting that somebody could maintain that much of a chip on their shoulder about, like, being a victim in all of this when you're friends. And, like, it's like, on the one hand, I feel bad because she probably was dealing with some sort of insecurities or lack of forwardness and maybe wasn't making her pursue things. But on the other hand, it's, like, really Kind of, like kind of ugh, like it's gross behavior and like so deliberate it's one thing to be cited it's another thing to make it a pattern and then to like seek revenge so tangibly on your own turf i don't know i find that upsetting she's like on the trampoline and she's like i think i'm gonna ride it here sorry no more orphan annie jokes uh but <laughs> I mean, kudos for the trampoline in life. I mean, that's exciting. That's usually, uh, you know, surefire way to also note that you had like snacks like Gushers and an intercom system, maybe a, a furnished basement, that F you, uh, you know, Postmaster General money. I don't know. Was she in it for the trampoline? Like, I just don't understand why she would maintain the friendship. It's just a very weird long game. Anyway, hide your kids, hide your husbands. Uh, Annie's on the loose. Hope she never comes into contact with yours. Thank you for sharing with us. Next story.
Actually, first, I want to tell you about a new advertiser. Very exciting. And it has to do with my co-host, Topcoat. <laughs> That's very relevant and I'm excited about because you might have fallen, f- followed along on Tugboat's uh, haircut journey. I've been cutting his own hair throughout quarantine. Uh, he's been to the groomer a few times. He hates going. It's a whole thing. I get shamed when I pick him up for his bad behavior or whatever. So I've been trying to find a way to maintain his mane at home. But I don't know. Sometimes he's like smelly or really itchy and I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. And that's how I found Scout's Honor. It's my go-to pet brand for grooming products that help with itch relief, odor control, and overall healthier skin and coat. Uh, Tugboat, he, he, okay, he, he is... The, He's a kind of mutt, if you will, and he has two types of hair. It's like this under, I forget what it's called. It's like an undercoat and an overcoat, so he has long hair and short hair, and it is it is such a nightmare to comb through, and he's just a general nightmare in terms of, like, not liking to be touched if he's not in the mood. Um, and Scout's Honor has these probiotic grooming products that are scientifically proven, a scientifically proven natural solution for treating your pet's skin problems. And when they're applied to the skin, the probiotics support healthy bacteria and fight against bad bacteria that cause irritation. And I think I didn't necessarily realize that he wasn't, I think I thought he was responding more to the touch, but I think his skin had a lot of irritation from like using the wrong products. And therefore that's why he didn't like being touched. And you can choose from so many different amazing fragrances. They have like honeysuckle, dog of the woods, among other delightful scents that aren't super, I don't know how to explain it. They, they just don't, it doesn't smell like a typical like grooming scent, if you know what I mean. But anyways, I'm a huge fan. Uh, with Scout's Honor, your pet will never look or feel or smell better. If you want to check out all, all of Scout's Honor's award-winning products today, available online or wherever pet supplies are sold. But if you want to receive 20% off your first order, go to scoutshonor.com slash be there in five. Remember, that's Scout's with a K at scoutshonor.com slash be there in five. S-K-O-U-T-S for 20% off your order. Scout's Honor, natural and preventative grooming solutions for pets. Last but not least, we have my favorite way to edit episodes, which is to listen to audio while I make a HelloFresh meal and pretend I'm a gourmet cook, if only for a moment. It's very relaxing for me, if I'm honest. I really am a god-awful cook. But that makes this makes it pretty simple and straightforward, because with HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets you skip trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Right after this, actually, I'm going to make the uh, chicken parmesan pasta situation that I'm very excited about. And it's nice because like they have a lot of variety. They have over 25 recipes, a lot of different flavors and cuisines. You can have choose healthy options like low-cal, carb-smart, vegetarian, pescatarian, etc. Um, but I, I'm like a stickler for food waste. And this has cut down not only in grocery bills by saving 40% instead of shopping at my local store. It also has, it, on average, I think I've read at one point, it cuts down on food waste by like 25% in the study they did, which is really, really cool. So anyway, they also have Easy Eats, uh, which is an offering that has tons of quick and easy meal solutions, like 10 to 20 minute meals, low prep recipes, and quick breakfasts and lunches. And you can skip a week if you need to. You can add more protein, sides, lunch, dessert, whatever you want. Uh, The flexibility is good because I don't need the same amount like every single week. And I'm just a huge fan. And they've been a long-term great partner of the podcast and we love them. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 1010BeThereIn5 and use code 10BeThereIn5 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash 10BeThereIn5, how the show is spelled, F-I-V-E, not the number, and use code 1010, so 10BeThereIn5, 10BeThereIn5 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. And that will be in the show notes if that was confusing. And enjoy America's number one meal kit for yourself. Thank you for your patience while you support my livelihood. I always think of podcasts like radio 
with ads, you know? I feel like they're less intrusive than, like, Instagram and stuff. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I've always wanted to be Delilah. What can I say? I just have fun doing live reads. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. A bit of a backstory. I carried the same unrequited love for the literal boy next door from the ages of 13 to 18. Let's call him Roy. He was such a sweet person, so much so that he obviously knew how much I adored him and was too kind to just bluntly tell me he had no interest in me that way. While most of my waking moments were spent planning our future or orchestrating well-laid plans to convince him to ask me out, two insanely de desperate attempts to impress him make him jealous stand out. Because he lived next door, he was often the person requested to help house it when my family was out of town. When I was 14, my family traveled to the UK for two weeks, and Roy was responsible for getting our mail and watering our plants each day. I was so sure he'd take this as an opportunity to go into my room and read my diary. Only problem was I didn't keep one. You might see where this is heading. My breezy self manufactured a fake journal with over a month of daily entries. Most of the rambling centered around wishing Roy only knew how great I was so we could be together. I even recall faking some non-Roy content around being excited for high school and making the dance team to throw him off the primary intent with my photo journaling. In my head, he'd read it all and confess to me his true feelings when we returned from our European vacation. I'd be rocking that Spice Girl energy, a Paul Frank shirt, and sporting the trendiest accessorized purchases. Truly London's answer to Claire's. Oh, did you go to Pizza Express? Uh... The fake diary wasn't enough of a guarantee for my plan. I needed proof that Roy would snoop and actually read it. I applied the 1999 version of spyware, a single thread of hair on the cover to see if it moved. When we got home, I immediately ran to my room to check for it. Pretty sure I couldn't actually tell if the hair was still there. As it turns out, my blonde short locks aren't the best for Harry the Spy shenanigans. <laughs> he wrote 30 entries <laughs> and then didn't even set up a, a, a trap to catch him. Like, it's such, it's such an... Uh, it's such a involved endeavor that to not cover your bases to actually see if you've read the journal is extra funny. <laughs> I also bet you changed up your handwriting, you changed the pens you used, you made up details. I wish you still had that journal. That's hysterical. The second, arguably more cringy jealousy attempt came in high school. The location of our houses played a crucial factor in my ability to create a meet-cute, even though we'd known each other for years. Uh, scenarios to show him what was in front of him this whole time. What was in front of him? Like, what's right under your nose? Is is like a problematic trope. It really is. I I, I said earlier. I, I think that is one of the thing, the kind of um, anecdotes people cling to for false hope. That is a problem because sometimes you just don't have the chemistry. Let's see. Lost my place. Uh, Roy asked if I could give him a ride to school while his car was in the shop. He must have given me at least a day's notice to manufacture this plan. I organized every detail of our three-minute drive to school, from casually asking if you wanted to go through the McDonald's to get breakfast sandwiches so we'd have more alone time, to the newly burned CD with perfect song order. It started with Andrew W.K.'s We Want Fun to show I'm a cool girl, then swiftly transitioned into Blessed Union of Souls, Let Me Be the One, and Light in Your Eyes. Can't waste time with small-town commutes. I was going to say, you wouldn't even get in three minutes one song in. Even the random clutter I planned in my front seat that he'd have to move when he got in the car was thought out. The assortment of seat filler included a flattering recent pic with friends, <laughs> a letter from a competitive dance organization who had invited me to an invitational event showing how talented I am. Spoiler, all of this was lost on or ignored by nice boy Roy. If you ever have a theme of painful breakups with people you never actually dated, I can tell that story. <laughs> I'm so glad you had, like, you speak of him still so positively. I'm glad he was nice to you. Um, and 
honestly, I'm so impressed by your planning, your attention to detail, the focus on variety, both of accoutrements left on the seat and song choice. Blessed Union of Souls, I mean, you didn't even choose their more obvious popular hit. She likes me for me. Because it would have worked because you did like him for him. And you just wanted him to like you for you, as noted in your diary. That's the other funny thing we thought is like, we I don't know where I got this from, but I thought like p pity was a great route. You know, it's kind of like faking that you have a cough or like a stomach ache or like be getting sick for attention. Or in my case, like ordering fajitas for attention. It's like... <laughs> The thing, some things it's like, what, what are you doing? But in this instance, it's like, why, why, why is soliciting pity a strategy at one point? Because I definitely did that in terms of feeling you the real me. And it's like, no one, you know, it doesn't make sense that somebody would not be attracted to that. But in my head, it was so earnest that it would, you know, change their mind. And it's just, oh my God, I love it so much. Where's Roy now? I'm going to email you. Please follow up with me. I'm dying to know. <laughs> Uh, I moved around a lot as a kid and was constantly the new girl. Because of this and being naturally introverted, I had a hard time making friends. We moved to a new city three quarters of the way through sixth grade. After being invisible the rest of my sixth grade year, I decided in seventh grade to start talking like a valley girl because I thought, well, that's what the cool girls did in the movies and I desperately wanted a close group of girlfriends. <laughs> Bless your heart. Uh, we, oh, and the cute guys in class to notice me. We stayed in the city until we finished high school. My new way of speaking slower and sounding dumb for attention unfortunately didn't help my situation. It just made me sound like a moron and sometimes I'm still told... At 30 years old, I sound like a valley girl. To be fair, anyone who has said this to me, I don't think meant it as an insult, but I'm definitely still self-conscious about it. It is interesting how, like, even, like, forced speech patterns can catch on. Um, and this is, like, something I need to unpack that I feel like I don't have time to now. But I need to think about it because, uh, well, the concept of a valley girl is funny, period. It's very, it, it's kind of rooted in, you know, California culture, like, clueless-type vibes, uh, people from the valley right like i actually don't i need to look into its origin but um as a woman who speaks for a living people are so harsh about women's the way women speak their voice their tone uh and their like cadence and word choice and um and women are highly critical of this too about me mind you by the way uh and people get so upset when you say like a lot or and i i even think vocal fry is a ridiculous accusation I don't think most adult women purposefully alter their voice. I mean, maybe some do, but I think to suggest women are trying to make themselves like more desirable, desirable or sexy or like unintelligent based on the tone of their voice or what people call up speak, which is when your um, your speech goes up at the end, almost turning a declarative sentence into an interrogative one. Um, it, it's, you know, the per my last email of it all, I, I, Sometimes when I sit down and think through these things, I'm like, w uh, uh, women's life is, is, is made to be about modification, to make yourself more desirable, make yourself sound more intelligent, dress in a way that people don't think you're promiscuous, you know, don't put too many smileys in your email, but don't be too frank and straightforward. Everything we're doing is this weird dance of trying to skirt our natural instincts in favor of what's often the male gaze or the man's perception of how women need to act to be respected. And I think speech is an interesting thing where um, people will, you know, almost in an effort to encourage women to uh, be equals in the workplace, 
you know, say drop the like, tell them how to speak, not to up speak, not to vocal fry, to alter their tone, to be more confident, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the same thing's still happening. We're being asked to modify our speech to fit a man's world. Because do you ever criticize the way a guy speaks? Do you ever say he says like too much? Do you criticize the, if they're smiling, the, their word choice, their tone? <laughs> no. If you, like, I want you to, for the next week, take some time. Listen to a bunch of guys talk. They say like all the time, and we do not notice it. They speak just as colloquially as many women do. People work over time to make you feel incompetent and make you think that you're doing something wrong. And the unfortunate reality is sometimes doing those things might help you out in a professional setting. But again, like that doesn't get to the root cause. And what frustrates me is that the modifications we have to make are helpful to, the, to further fuel the problem so we can exist in a world where the problem thrives. And I don't have a suggestion or way for the root cause to get better. But I think it's important to draw attention to. And I know this took a left turn away from Valley Girl that didn't need to. It's not about this at all. But, but I think the Valley Girl phenomenon, the Romeo and Michelle of it all, um, the, it, it made it, 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 it categorized a certain type of speech with ditzy, dumb, blonde, bimbo, uh, unintelligent, but like sexually attractive, right? And the fact that you did that is just an interesting byproduct of what kind of we were being told at the time. Like you said, Cher Horowitz, like the messaging was dumb yourself down to be hot speak a certain way to seem like a vapid bimbo and meet the male gaze because there's a level of seeming unintelligent sure but i think it's more about uh seeming disposable and inconsequential and if you're not looking for anything deep finding somebody who doesn't appear deep but the the idea of like dumbing yourself down and putting on an act to make yourself more desirable because for some reason you should clever is not hot like it's just it's so it's it's so real and exists in the world and like very much did when i was growing up and there's still some kind of i don't remember i was reading it at one point from one episode maybe it was per my last email um about how like there's a study done with like groups of men and the control group was uh not was told that i think women underperform them on this like uh they, they gave them a test and what one group was told these women uh, underperformed their scores. And one group was told that the w women they were meeting uh, did better on the test than they did. And like, well, this was in 2015 or something. And like an overwhelming majority of men were only attracted to the women that didn't do as well as they did on the test. And it's like some weird inherent thing that exists where I do think that like, uh, there's, I don't know how much of it's like evolutionary versus cultural versus, uh, you know, patriarchy oriented. I'm a garbage sociologist with a non-existent work cited, but I will read these things in passing and be like, huh, uh, you know, just almost to be like, this isn't in my head. Perhaps I don't, I'm not sharing the right data because this isn't what this episode's about and I'm getting off topic, but I just, I don't know, like, I guess for my own anecdote with romantic stuff, like I everybody I dated until I met my husband could not have had nicer things to say about my personality, being clever, being funny, um, loving to be around me. We're always the best of friends, but none of them were attracted to me. Like all, like when I say friend zone, it was like a level that 
it was it was such a pattern it was it was kind of mind-blowing to me um but i you listen to me talk all the time i i love wordplay and puns and i like being quick and i talk fast and i reference things a lot and honestly the strongest women woman i knew on television growing up was lorelei gilmore and i swear to god i feel like a lot of my personality is based off of how much i revered her because she did she wasn't in she wasn't put in a box sure she was a single mom like sure she had a silver spoon that she rejected and a guy at the diner who liked her but like the she let the entire show was a about her personality like she led with her personality you almost forgot she was beautiful because you were so focused on the words that came out of her mouth um and and that's why i i, I joke when i say I, I, the quickness of a lorelei gilmore the earnestness of a uh leslie nope the feminist cynicism of a liz lemon like these women on tv that i really love i love characters that are written to be um unapologetically themselves and whose uh personality and character traits transcend their looks to a point where we're not talking about them they're not part of the discussion that's not part of their worth and um i this is a whole conversation i need to get into later because i'm getting away from the topic but it just was always confusing to me that everyone would be like it's what's, what's on the inside that counts but i was like well no it's not because everyone's telling me my insides are chill but like they're not attracted to me for some reason on the outside <laughs> but anyway where was i well it, per you saying you like tried on a new version of yourself <laughs> to make yourself more desirable to dudes that was largely based in the cultural influence at the time i find that deeply relatable and i feel like i spent so much time trying to pretend i was like sexier than i naturally was comfortable being because that's who was like getting attention or the messaging was like men love bitches but like i'm just not that naturally bitchy i mean i can be i guess but um not at my core and i just feel embarrassed by so many things i did trying to be somebody i wasn't and i just want to remind people that the right relationships have a hell of a lot less to do with strategy um and I'd argue the mark of being in the right relationship is you just being allowed to exist as you are. And that's something that was important for me to learn. And that gave me confidence in life to kind of just double down on who I am instead of trying to, I don't know, I, I truly, I, I was always, when I was around guys, I was, you know, before I even knew uh, Aaron Burr would share the same sentiment, I was always just trying to talk less smile more and, and 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 i shouldn't have been because you you know what my entire career is based off of me talking as much as possible <laughs> the fact that i was ever willing to ignore and dilute my own gifts that ultimately became my livelihood in favor of a male's interest hypothetical interest in me it's so deeply sad but something that I think is okay to admit and realize we've grown from and i never want to make a needless spectacle or make us sound pathetic or tell these stories in a way that makes the problem worse but rather communicate that i think we had a lot of external cultural forces that influenced these things and i always i, I know i keep tying it back to the way women were spoken about in media in the mid-aughts but that that was when the mean girl would thrive i feel like but in the 80s 90s it was the valley girl it was the bimbo like <laughs> I think I've told this story at one point, but the very first time I got a solo, I always wanted, I've, I love musical theater. 
I feel like I've always kind of wanted to be on a stage but had no like talent that would get me there. So I couldn't do theater. I couldn't do anything with singing or chorus. I would never get picked for solos. But like I always kind of wanted to secretly be doing that. And um, the very first solo I ever got was a spoken word solo at a school play that I think was about U.S. history that I can't really put together why this person was there. Um, but it's like related to the Revolutionary War, which is just confusing. But maybe it's explaining like the America's arc or something, because it was there were like a handful of people, myself included, dressed as cavemen and cave women. And the uh, guys were passing around this rock. And then somebody was supposed to come in and, be, and tell them, like, why don't you just roll it? And it was supposed to be the origin of rock and roll or something. And then the name, like my proper title on the program was uh, K- K- Valley Girl Cave Woman. <laughs> I remember this so distinctly. And that was the first part I'd ever gotten in my life because the only thing I was good at was talking like the people I was watching in the movies because Clueless changed my life. <laughs> so my big shining solo in this play was to come on stage and go, like, why don't you just roll it? And then I flipped my hair and walked away. And I remember people like praising me, telling me I was so good at it. I felt like I honestly, it was like some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this. But in retrospect, it's wild that it was a valley girl role. <laughs> and that was the only part I ever got until I was a junior in high school when my friend Hyla gave me this like lead role in the variety show because I was on the writing staff. And I remember distinctly that being the first time I was in a room of people and I was writing jokes and people were laughing uh and i'd written so much or like helped write so much of the uh script that i was given this role of the person hosting the show along with this guy named jason who was a really nice guy um and it changed my life it really did i got over a huge fear uh, spoke in front of a big crowd realized i was kind of good at it realized like i could use my verbal skills in a performative manner um, that didn't have to be singing or acting or dancing. And whenever I'm on stage at shows now, I, I honestly think about that moment and think about like how I would never, ever have the confidence to go on a stage if not for that one thing I did. Because I, I, I'm a person that struggles with hypothetical confidence and I need proof of concept. And I don't know, it's just an interest. It's so interesting to me that the two roles I had in my life were uh, Valley Girl who said the least, and host, who I was, you know, instructed to speak in a really uh, newscastery tone and delivered several verbose monologues. And they were just completely different roles. And one sunk me further into my insecurities, I think, and the other empowered me in ways that I think affect my life still, as crazy as that sounds. I was uh, recording earlier this week. She'll be on a, a bonus episode later probably i think it's next month um and i'll be on her podcast at some point uh laura tremaine who is awesome she has a a really popular podcast called 10 things to tell you she just had this book come out called share your stuff i'll go first the foreword is by one uh pam from the office her friend jenna fisher (laughs) it's a really good book and we had a good conversation and she was talking about how she came to find my podcast and not to talk about myself but I just this was an interesting framing that I hadn't heard anybody say before. 
that I've been really thinking about the past few days. She said that like as a podcaster, when she listened to my show, she j- never experienced a woman who was like comfortable taking up that much space, like with their words. And in like, she meant this in a good way. And it, it was kind of a moving sentiment to me. It was almost the, uh, you know, proverbial man spreading on a subway, you know, how like, dudes will spread their legs and take up as much space as possible while we like try to be tiny, not be in people's way. There's some study about that. Uh, I was kind of like honored to be the man spreader of female podcasters. And I thought about why am I comfortable taking up so much space? And the irony is like, I'm not really, I kind of did it in spite of people telling me it was a little too much for them. Um, but at the same time, I think back to moments like the variety show where I learned I could command with words, where I could anchor something, I could comedically lead something. I, people were just so positive about that, and it completely overhauled my confidence to the point where I quit volleyball my senior year. Like, I honestly think I was empowered to quit something I associated with my identity because I was like a serious volleyball player at the time um, because it kind of, I don't know, put me in this strat- like social stratosphere where I've had like acknowledgement and support in a way I just, I don't know, maybe didn't feel before. It's kind of hard to explain. Nobody cares. Um, but I like, I really, it's silly. I, I make fun of myself a lot for uh, how much like uh, compliments have meant to me throughout life. The Mario, you know, stepping on a Mario star of it all when somebody told me I was pretty one time in seventh grade or the only time in seventh grade I remember being told that. And then one of the first times I did this like public speaking thing, I, when I was studying abroad, I remember one of the women I was with, Katie Shoemaker, she was like, you're a really good public speaker. Never forgot it. From that moment on, I was like, am I a good public speaker? I think so. I was told I, and, and like, I carried those things with me, those affirmations with me. Like, I, I think that our instincts at times can be to be like competitive or to hold back compliments or to not want to seem like you're blowing smoke, but like, Give people compliments. Tell them they're good at stuff. Support people doing things, especially young people. So I believe in mentorship programs. Small passing interactions make a big freaking difference. And when there's big, big messages that come from society about who you need to be and what you need to do, even though I like to think that these have been improved in recent times, um, the people that actually know you, that compliment you and reassure you about your gifts especially in a world that doesn't necessarily honor them yet because not every phase of life phase of life is when we're going to thrive as i often talk about thriving post-college i didn't know i would be a great adult i thought i was doomed because i wasn't a great party animal uh shocking uh but i I just think it's important to remember these small interactions like really matter and just like you know the young version of our listener who thought they needed to be a valley girl to be accepted or the version of me that was told I was such a good valley girl in middle school that I was like cool maybe this should be my personality like why don't we just roll it (laughs) I'm grateful to have had opportunities later in life where I was introduced to different versions of myself uh and that though that's the thing that becomes the overriding factor of how you move forward instead of kind of these cultural environmental influences. I think I absorbed a lot more of them when I like didn't know who I was and tried to mold myself as like a version of what I was seeing in like TV movies and magazines. But anyway, next story. I'm so happy that you got me reminiscing on this. The mere mention of the away message made me remember my college days, early 2000s, freshman year. 
My boyfriend and I had just broken up. We went to he went to a different college a couple of hours away. Aim had been our main source of communication communication so of course i had to use it to show him i was happy and moving on i almost exclusively stopped putting up away messages because i wanted him to know how much spontaneous fun i was having so i went and said yes yes so i didn't just let my name go idle for extended periods of time you know when it would fade to gray i really felt this sent a clear message of no time to even think of or put up an away message i just got carried away somewhere else Looking back, there was a brutal amount of self-discipline because many times I was in the room, just in arm's reach of my computer, sitting for hours without touching it. Also, there were times I would be doing my work at my desk and I'd accidentally bump my computer. The jig was up. No longer idle. Okay, wow, wow. That was memory buried in my brain that, yes, I got to that point too. And I remember like not being able to study or do my homework because I didn't want to move my mouse. Because you had to put your mouse in the bottom corner Oh, like bottom left corner of your screen and just like like sit and wait until your crush thinks that you're too busy to be thinking about him or better died <laughs> apparently <laughs> but like yeah i that was like a big deal and that was impossible to do with a family computer and i remember when i got a laptop in college being like sick sign on early i'll go to some lengthy event like our chapter advisor coming to our sorority and I would just watch the clock tick on by as I knew he must be cataloging the many, many suitors I must be with at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. Like, <laughs> uh, that was that was such a power move. Uh, and that I think that is a great uh, representation of this like pursuit of breezy, right? You get to an age where you become like a little more self-aware, even though you still do like deeply embarrassing things. There's a time that comes when you... Um, I think the, the, and I use the word breezy, not, I don't want people held hostage to breezy. I feel like in the Facebook group, people will be like, I know this isn't breezy, but it's never what I mean. To me, uh, breezy is almost like this tongue in cheek thing of like, well, one, especially in Facebook groups, people are so harsh and take things too seriously. So, you know, I just think anytime you're interacting on social media, breezy is the better way to go. Unless you're correcting or educating somebody in a way that's educational, of course. I'm all for, you know, polite discourse. But otherwise, breezy is like, it's almost a tongue-in-cheek thing of like, uh, growing up, I just felt like, at first it was almost like being unintelligent and airhead-like and bimbo-like, valley girl, if you will, like we just talked about, was the desirable thing. And then we moved into, when I was in high school and college, I, I really feel like this mean girl phase of the aughts that isn't not necessarily just about the movie Mean Girls, but in general, uh, this messaging of that I still I still kind of carry a lot of this with me too. Of um, the far cooler way to be in life is apathetic. That women who seem you know effortless and are low maintenance and you know give zero f's and you know can just kind of like hang with the guys and not be too crazy about their needs in a relationship and you know all this nonsense and, and breezy to me is almost like taking back the narrative of like i am the opposite of breezy i am so high effort but I, I, I as an adult i no longer subscribe to that women need to pretend to be effortless in order to be valued um effort is what makes the world go round being too try hard or extra are not bad things and i mean to take this back to pop culture you know 90s it's like share share horowitz dion Kelly Kapowski, God forbid you're Jesse Spano, and like call your boyfriend a pig for calling you mama. And I mean, it's like caffeine pills is that a big deal? You want a little boost for an exam? Like, I don't think so, but whatever. 
uh, <laughs> and uh, Romy and Michelle, and you know, you you guys get it. But in the two thousands, I really do think there was this fascinating shift uh, with um, not only reality television and the onset of The Bachelor in two thousand two, and we had Survivor and the Tribal Council and whatnot. But also, it was an era that it was just cool to be mean. It was entertainment to be mean. Simon Cowell was in his heyday, the weird, mean, weakest link lady in her heyday. The the mean girls of media are virtual icons. Villains were were the hot topic. It really links to just back on um, links back to what I talked about last week too. With I I just think um, pinpointing the most extreme poor behavior uh, that women a woman could exhibit that by no means is a representation of her character as a whole, but what is deemed entertaining and therefore what the media would hold on to and therefore what the value was in paparazzi photos of people partying, not wearing underwear, getting out of a car, uh, going to rehab, uh, gaining or losing too much weight, like all these things. It's just like this, this is what was tied to our value. And the, the, the characters that were really thrive in this time, you know, have these pop cultural icons like Blair Waldorf, Regina George, freaking Mandy Moore in the princess diaries. with like stupid Cuba. I got it. hated her character. Freaking Brianna Wallace of the Wallace Department Store Wallaces from Holiday in the Sun, a cultural icon. Uh, in the literature, too, in the 2000s. I mean, you know, he's just not that into you. Not the movie, the book. Uh, I mean, the movie in retro is a comical whitewashing of, like, Baltimore young singles. Like, what? And it's it's so, it's so bad. They really thought they were doing something there with, like, the love actually success of trying to just get a bunch of movie stars and thinking it would work. As we know from the following uh, Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve. Not great, but I still watch them when they're on TBS. Uh, but when you, okay, Why Men Love Bitches was a very popular uh, book and concept in my girl's circle. It was written in 2002. And let me look up the tagline. Because in my head, this is so deeply problematic in retrospect. Why Men Love Bitches. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why men love bitches here's the tagline from doormat to dream girl a woman's guide to holding her own in a relationship man if that's not a look in the mirror for my story arc i'm just kidding <laughs> doormat's just a little too on the nose um but it's like high level i like what it's saying in terms of a strong woman it's important to be strong more so than a yes woman uh but the way, I mean, it's like, once you've discovered the feisty attitude men find so magnetic, you'll not only increase the romantic chemistry, you'll gain your man's love and respect with far less effort. I it, I struggle with stuff like this now, or like the, he's just not that into you of it all, because I'm sure that it's rooted in s some help that discusses relationship, like power dynamics. But it, the messaging is all the ways women need to modify themselves to make themselves lovable, desirable. Uh, and it's all about like tempering your crazy, not being like Gigi from the movie adaptation of he's just not that into you. But these, these rom-coms and reality shows and paparazzi stories, all prior to the recession, uh, I guess mostly, uh, had, had us so immersed in, uh, gender stereotypes, often in race stereotypes, in crazy girl, you know, popular mean girl, nice, unpopular, unlikable girl, until she changes something fundamentally about herself, like the crime that is waxing off Anne Hathaway's eyebrows to make her a princess of Genovia. Um, it's, it was all about, you know, our goals, 
our romantic desires, whatever it is, being within reach. If we can do one thing and one thing alone, be a lot less of ourselves and be a lot more like this monolith of what we're told men like. And I think that there was an interesting transition from um, like bimbo to mean girl that almost seemed like necessary to survive and to be desirable and to like watch your man like you know i just feel like this was a time when it was kind of revered to be really cutthroat about crushes and dudes and clothes and popularity and uh, guys i know blanket blanket scarves and blanket statements i make so many sweeping generalities on this show it's a problem but i think about this a lot and like you know we we were in this like before the recession and this heyday of everything seeming so inconsequential and then when everything changed in 2007 and people couldn't pay for their McMansions or SUVs or we had more things to care about than like if Britney was wearing underwear getting out of a car. Uh, I kind of think this drop, like this, the recession and things being so serious and this drop off kind of uh, made this the paparazzi celebrity culture decline and is probably what served up a hospitable environment for to democratize voices in media with bloggers for regular women. Because, I mean, beyond just kind of it dropping off and losing interest in the L.A. club culture when we had bigger things to worry about, I mean, I think that wanting to look to women that you see yourself in is kind of the mark of a recession where, you know, even though they ultimately were aspirational, there still was a level of approachability of a blogger that a celebrity didn't have. And, like, I don't think any of us in our right mind would have spent so much GD time making pallet furniture had we not been short on cash. I think the, 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 you know, Pinterest DIY culture, all that stuff, I think I sometimes forget what a product of the recession it was. And I, I, I want to, like, look up if any think pieces people have done on, like, the 9-11 of it all, too, and how that influenced the 2000s. Because it's a really interesting decade that I think we'll study closely. And um, it's not, like, in far enough history now. But I just think after 2001, like, so much changed obviously politically and economically and just our general sense of safety and security and all these things. But yeah, I think the pop culture element there is interesting too. I don't know why we were in this era where like it was so acceptable to be mean. I mean, beyond that, even like, I, I know I talk about this a lot, but like the Dixie chicks of it all. And now the chicks, they, I mean, the fact that they were called the Dixie sluts for saying in a different country that they simply were embarrassed that our president was from Texas. I mean, that's in, it's 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 just it, it, compared to where we are now with our freedom and talking about our administration and not having to have this like blind respect if you don't agree with the president. Uh, it's just crazy to think that people literally t had like tractor steamrollers were running over their CDs, that people were on the news calling them sluts and sexualizing them. For voicing their political opinions, for speaking out as women. I even remember being like, oh man, I liked them. Like, uh, and then I eventually snapped out of it because Not Ready to Make Nice is one of the greatest bangers of all time. Like, I talk about Frizen. But I think the chicks are a great example too of the way we were comfortable treating women and the, the, the norm being this um, harsh mistreatment and sexualization of women and media and entertainment culture, we were all so immersed in it, we couldn't see the shoreline. We didn't even know it was in existence. Um, and I, I don't know. I just have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. But my whole point was, um, 
I feel like part of what I extracted from a lot of the literature and things I was watching is it was okay and normal to fundamentally change myself. Uh, you know, one makeover wax and like keratin treatment. And, you know, I'd go from doormat to dream girl. Uh, and beyond that, like the women who were like cool just seemed really aloof and chill. And um, it's this messaging that I, I still don't think we've rid ourselves of that women need to be effortless, right? It doesn't matter how much effort you put in, but how much effort you show matters. And I don't know, I think I like the word breezy because it's the antithesis of how I feel most times. And it's the expectation that I've always felt is a little projected onto women in order to be kind of like glamorous and looked up to and impressed by somebody. They just like need to seem effortlessly beautiful, effortlessly successful. They need to be like palatable and approachable and calm, but also you know, in order to be as successful as we need them to be and expect them to be, we know they have to run around like crazy behind the scenes, but they can't show it. And it kind of like with a uh, I did this episode called Childless Millennial, where, um, you know, trigger warning talking about pregnancy, but it wasn't as it was kind of just creating space for people that are haven't even tried to have a kid yet, and need somewhere to go and someone to talk to to just be like, it freaking sucks that we don't even know our fate in this category, that we don't have total control over this category because it depends on where we are in life and with a partner at times. Um, and beyond that, it's crazy how much pressure is put onto us to have uh, every, you know, to be successful, to find a partner, to be able to stand on our own two feet, to have a, a life and a career and interests of our own. And I compare women to ducks because I feel like we're expected that everything needs to roll off our backs like a duck and we have to glide along the surface even though we're frantically paddling underneath. We're expected to take like a duck to water, you know, be smooth and effortless in everything we do. And the expectations of having to have all of your ducks in a row, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s is, is such an interesting juxtaposition with when you get to where I am in closer to your mid thirties and everyone starts asking you about kids and you're kind of looked like looked at like you're insane. Uh, if you're worried about having to navigate how motherhood would work with your career, you've spent the past 15 years building as if you're selfish, as if you should drop everything. And it's almost like the other duck analogy is you, you're expected to have all your ducks in a row um, by my age, but then all of a sudden I'm supposed to give zero fucks about these ducks uh, and drop everything and, and, you know, gracefully enter into motherhood as that is my role. And I just think it's the, at every stage, no matter your decision, there's a way you can uh, be judged and there's an expectation that you just have to take to things with such ease and breeziness. And for some women, these changes are like water rolling off a duck's back. Uh, but for some people, myself included, it doesn't feel that simple and it doesn't feel that easy and it feels really scary. And there's, feels like there's a lot at stake with your, you know, mental health and well-being because it's sometimes it's a lot to manage my mental state as is, but adding in this variable, it's just something I don't take lightly. And the volume of conversations you have about this where you're just expected to not even think about it. Uh, and beyond that, 
you have to there's no space to talk about this fear or uncertainty because you're so worried about offending somebody. For people who are at the point where they really want children or have been trying, you know, you get shut down so fast if you entertain any of these thoughts. And I, I, I can be both. I can be empathetic to somebody's situation and also express my own fears. And I believe in giving people the space to think about a very important, major, permanent life decision and I think the breeziness projected onto women in the assumption that you should just want to have kids and the assumption that it's just going to be that easy, like you can snap your fingers, like it's just not that straightforward. And I, it, it's interesting because I feel like I'm getting I'm closer than I was. I feel like actually Childless Millennial was a weird release for me that was well-timed, that I didn't plan, that I just needed to be allowed to say it. And people were so, you guys were so awesome and receptive to that. Uh, and... Again, my nightmares offending somebody going through, um, you know, issues with fertility. But it's not even about that. I'm not even at that phase yet. Like, I, I don't even, I can't speak to what I don't know. All I know is the phase I'm in now and can speak to other people that might be in the same given my age. And like, because I feel like I'm closer in my interest level. And it is interesting being on social media and experiencing like, holy pregnancies, Batman. Like, everyone. It, honestly, like it's Biden's America. Like, I, I think people were actively trying not to concede worried that we'd have another four years of what we just experienced the past four years, at least in like my secular urban demographic. I feel like people all like got pregnant after the election and then everybody announced it because 12 weeks was like, what, the end of January, beginning of February around that time. But then I'm also like, Jesus, you people like, People just, it's, I don't know, whatever. It's crazy to me how easily some people can get pregnant. And, and it's crazy to me how you can't know that until you are in the process, right? It's just like so frustrating that we have to plan our lives around a hypothetical situation that we ultimately don't even have control over and whatever. Um, but anyways, I just want to remind people, breezy is tongue in cheek. We don't need to always be appearing to be coasting we don't need to take things lightly like a zephyr uh it's okay to care it's okay to notice minutia it's okay to think through your big decisions and i do not subscribe to the idea in my heart of hearts that to be beautiful aspirational interesting successful you have to seem effortless that's ridiculous the only thing that yields any results in this life is effort we don't need to apologize to one another for being too negative or getting too deep or I feel like I get in conversations with women and everyone's like apologizing for like bringing the vibe down because they're sharing stories of their own hardship that they need to share with people. You know, it's like I, I think we're uh, weirdly plagued by this kind of breezy concept of needing to be peppy and needing to you know, not breathe too much life into our problems. So we appear on the surface to be holding it all together. And I just am, I am here for the era of people, not ideas of people, not projections of stereotypes. And I, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm saying. I just think it's important that we laugh about these things, of course. But I don't know, just not be afraid to just like, People love to make things seem easy. It just doesn't really serve anybody, you know? Like, tell people how much help you have. Tell people how hard you worked. 
I, I like to hear those things, and I don't think it's that people are bragging. I only think the time when people are bragging is when they talk about constantly how busy they are. Because when I'm busy, I just don't, like, I'm not talking about it. I'm just, like, actually busy. <laughs> Moral of the story. Yeah, go, uh, going idle is who I once wanted to be. The breezy gal that was gray on your buddy list because she was just too breezy to care about you breaking up with her quite harshly and insensitively. I took it upon myself to have to be the person that was, you know, ev evasive and unbothered and doing well. And it was just such a stupid act. And now it's just like, I, I, it's nice to just be like, this is not who I am. I am not idle. I am active. I am high effort. I am intense. And it is what it is. <laughs> Next story. I group, uh, when I started listening to the Pussycat Doll, this is a new story. When I started listening to the Pussycat Doll episode, I was so mad at myself for procrastinating and missing the boat on the first round. When you mentioned a part two, I had to write in. This story involves Doncha itself. My group of friends and I have been planning a trip to the mall and a sleepover for the weekend because what else do you do as an eighth grader circa 0910? We all decided to dress cute and bring our digital cameras in our oversized purses so that we could mem memorialize this day forever in a Facebook album still titled Mall Trip, colon D. Yeah. <laughs> Malls were one of the only ways to hang out with your friends outside of the house on your own for an extended period of time prior to having a license if you could convince your parents to drive, drop you off, and hopefully slip you some cash. Absolutely. Needless to say, it invoked major main character energy for us all. I remember wanting to seem so fun and mature to make everyone we passed, especially cute boys, think we were the coolest. So my friend had the idea, inspired by characters in a movie she had just seen, to link arms and strut through the mall to the tune of Doncha. We were like, uh, duh, what could be cooler? <laughs> Is it very um, Mean Girls Pass That Dutch inspired? Uh, the five or six of us literally linked arms, Starbucks frappuccinos in hand, and strutted down the halls of the mall, low-key singing, don't you to keep ourselves on beat. Like, we were the pussy cat <laughs> uh, You know, three is a friend group, six is a full red rover, if we're being honest. <laughs> Uh, in my head, I thought we looked like Regina George in the Plastic Squad, hair blowing in the wind, queens of the mall. I honestly think that Mean Girls, it was supposed to be a parody, but when it came out, it was, it was, it was, really good comedy is, is often almost indiscernible with life, right? Like, it's so descriptive and realistic. It, this satire is unnoticeable at times. And I think that um, Mean Girls was so brilliant and it was so uh, on point that it both parodied and inspired mean girl behavior. I, I remember becoming more of a mean girl after I saw Mean Girls because it it was such it was such a mirror. It was almost aspirational. <laughs> um, it's absolutely the cringiest thing I've ever done to garner attention. And now at 25, looking back, it's layers to think of how young and slight we looked. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I had more stories of this and I talked more than I thought I was going to. So maybe next week we'll do things that are embarrassing for no reason. I'm kind of into just doing fun episodes right now. <gasps> oh my gosh, we have an update from Soccer All-Star 567. Sorry, S0CC3R A11 star 567 about John. After these brief messages, sorry. Unintentional cliffhanger. I was so uh, excited because somebody DM'd me yesterday saying they were finally uh, taking the plunge and trying out BetterHelp. Uh, and I was so excited because... I, the reason I want to work with companies like BetterHelp, uh, by the way, who is a company that assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist remotely so you can connect in a safe and private environment and uh, communicate quickly in under 24 hours. 
and get professional counseling with a counselor you can send messages to anytime and that you can schedule a weekly video or phone sessions with. And uh, one thing I think is just really incredible is I, I think with mental health, especially there's a huge barrier to entry or perceived one in terms of like finding a therapist or the right one and, and finding coverage and it being affordable and beyond that physically getting yourself there when you're already maybe not in the best place so sitting in a waiting room the kind of arduous process of having to go to a different one if you don't like that one and start the process from scratch you can change counselors if needed which i think is something people don't talk about enough that not every therapy session is like a match it's not always vibing if you will choose a medical term um and i think having the ability to easily uh, change counselors is important and getting timely and thoughtful responses and being able to go through this process quickly instead of like waiting a month out for an appointment or whatever and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Anything you share is confidential and uh, you can check out their testimonials on their website. It's not a crisis line, I do want to clarify, but it is convenient, professional, affordable, and so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. As a listener, if you want to, uh, you know, start working through anything that you feel is getting in the way of, of your uh, joy, of your contentment, uh, you'll get 10% off your first month by Visiting betterhelp.com slash be there in five. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash be there in five. If you'll allow me to do one more ad, I wanted to also thank one of our other sponsors this week, another longtime partner I love dearly, which is, of course, Rothy's. Make your mark on the new year with comfortable, washable, and sustainable shoes and bags from Rothy's. I don't feel like enough people know they make bags. They make stylish, sustainable shoes, but also bags. And they're crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. With zero break-in period thanks to their seamlessly knit-to-shape design. With so many chic designs to choose from, Rothy's shoes are the perfect way to step into the new year. Their best-selling shoe is called the Point in Black. You have to look it up. It has over 3,000 near-perfect reviews. And when I tell you these shoes are comfortable, I'm not kidding. And you can wash them, which is really great. Uh, You can just toss them in the washer and... It doesn't compromise the shoe. CNN said Rothy's are the comfiest slip-on shoe I've ever owned, period. And they come with free shipping and free returns on eligible items. They've transformed over 70 million bottles into beautiful shoes, handbags, and face masks. Um, and they're an innovative, you know, manufacturer who really focuses on being planet-friendly and they consider sustainability every step of the way, which we love. So if you want to check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash be there in five, that's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash be there in five, and style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash be there in five today. Wow. Th- this story just keeps getting better. Okay, so uh, I emailed her back asking where John was. And he- <laughs> This is the first story about the person who said her favorite color was red for like nine years because his was that brought him the yellow card autograph that made her screen name Soccer All-Star. Yes, right now having never played soccer. I don't know why they got me. Um, I said, where is John now? And she said, <laughs> he's in his freaking med school residency with his doctor girlfriend. <laughs> I know this because I ran into them, both sober, while I was drunk one time a couple years back. I went on and on for probably five minutes to he and his girlfriend about 
her, my brother going to UF law school too. I'm thinking about taking the LSAT just for shits and gigs. I mean, I did a practice one with him one time and it wasn't so bad. John, you remember how we were always the top accelerated readers in our grade? I kept going until he had to be like, her name, I'm in med school. I mean, you have med school, not law school. <laughs> oh, my drunken brain had deaf got my wires crossed, recalling my annual creeping of his disappointingly stark Facebook profile. He and I were like always top grades and accelerated reader points in all of our classes. So it was just a very embarrassing moment of one of us ending, ending up being a literal doctor and one of us being drunk and alone with pizza in tow, waiting for an Uber alone outside the bars. <laughs> But I have my MBA in a marketing career I'm proud of. Okay, I just like to have fun in a good deep dish. Is that so wrong? No, it's not. Honestly, you're the hero of this story. Um, <laughs> honestly, John sucks. Sounds like he sucked then, he sucked now. I I think that a lot of us try to find ways we can relate in conversation. If your brother's going to UF, I don't know. It's like higher ed, tomato, tomato, law school, med school. <laughs> what, I get it. <laughs> You had pizza on the brain. It had been a long night. It's, isn't it so crazy, though, how you only run into those people at the worst time? I, I think that's if also like I think that's kind of a funny offshoot is if anybody has stories of um, like running into their ex that like they, you know, the person that you so badly in any context, I guess, want to impress running into them at the worst possible time or when you were just not your best self. Please send in stories to podcast at be there on five.com because something about that's very funny to me too. Um, oh my God. Love you so much. Thank you for sharing an update. You know, the thriving's in the eye of the beholder. And I'd rather, you know, be the fun gal in a vague marketing job getting a pizza after going out than, you know, sitting there sober correcting somebody for that you haven't seen in years for somehow not knowing that you were in some certain type of uh, field. You know, it's like, geez, relax, John. Ugh, I'm pissed. Anyway. <laughs> next story <laughs> i think remember how kelly and i well i guess we did kind of prompt people already to send in like examples of running into exes but i guess maybe it's too specific of an ask but i think the story might be about that hold on boyfriend and i hadn't spoken since i broke up with him my junior year of high school fast forward to seven years later i'm out of college and he had moved across the country and my ex is married with a baby on the way my college best friend who didn't know anyone from my high school Worked in the town I went to high school in, and that boyfriend was his Uber driver. When my friend got into the Uber, my ex turned around and said, Are you friends with so-and-so? I recognize you from her Instagram. <gasps> I don't post super often on Insta during college. It was maybe once a month or so, and that friend had probably been featured in maybe five to eight posts over the years, usually dressed up in costumes from some themed event. So probably even harder to recognize IRL, I think. I hadn't spoken to the ex in seven years. I didn't really keep up with anyone from high school either to this day my college friend and i laugh about this this encounter that's kind of a small world thing i love the flipped script that he obviously still thinks about and stalks you so he has like a wife and kids and is still stalking your instagram to find somebody that's been on there a handful of times it's like i don't know if that's gratifying or so sad i i, I like vaguely know where people are i don't follow anybody obsessively but i sure as hell would never admit to that if I'm meeting somebody who may or may not have been in their Instagram profile that I bumped into, that's wild. You really have a leg up in that stitch. But I guess you, that, that that's the thing. You broke up with him. I think these are all our responses and the things we carry throughout time all kind of operate from uh, the like inner child, like the initial feeling we had about that circumstance. And these probably still burned. It's an interesting example. Oh, I think this is... Uh, about a mis... Okay, this is a new story. 
I went on a Craigslist misconnection date. I was at a coffee shop studying and I saw a super hot guy there. I couldn't catch his eye and he seemed to be with another girl. I'd literally never been on Craigslist before that, but I'd heard of misconnections and for some reason I decided to try my luck in post. Turns out he had a friend who was working at the coffee shop while we were there and had found the post and told him about it. Before meeting up or sending a pic, I asked him to describe me and he got it right. Very observant. We went on one date and it was super fun, but he ghosted me after. I was super pissed, called him out on it, and made him apologize. I like to think that the universe connected us not because we were destined to be together, but because I, like the ghost of Christmas present, was meant to show him the air of his ways in time for him to cry. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting thing I hadn't thought of. That would be so hard to... <laughs> that's a really good reference um that would be so hard to let go of because you probably didn't even like like him that much how much do you know somebody after a first date but the circumstances aligned in such a way that i'd almost obsess over that i'd want it to work <laughs> good for you you're you're a regular bob cratchit um i crushed hard on this guy in high school and while we were friendly he was always going out with much more popular girls. I cried so much over this boy and dreamed about the movie moment when he would realize I was there the whole time. <laughs> I should note that at the time I had internalized the stupid idea that being mean to guys wouldn't make them, wouldn't, wait, would make them fall. Oh, oh my God, that's so funny. That's what I was just talking about. At the time I'd internalized that stupid idea that being mean to guys would make them fall hopelessly in love with me because I challenged. I'm convinced my life would have gone a totally different direction had someone told me that 16 year old boys are insecure and not really that deep. I convinced myself that he was misunderstood and that I was the only girl who could understand how emotionally complex he was. Ten years later, we somehow ended up in the same group chat of people from our high school who were preparing, preparing for our reunion. We start bantering at each other in the chat and end up taking our chat separate. <laughs> Thus began tons of texting and hours-long phone calls to catch up as though we had been close friends in high school. I lived in Atlanta and he lived in L.A., so all these convos were under the guise of just being friends. I was getting emotionally pulled in, but around then I met my now husband, who I realized was actually a much better fit for me. We continued to talk as friends for a while, but soon it became clear he was having feelings for me and was becoming emotionally dependent on me as well. At one point, he did actually tell me I was the only girl who really understood him. Seems hot when you're 16. At 28, it's cringe. So true. It's very uh, manic pixie dream girl. I slowly... Uh, phased that friendship out to just birthday messages and likes on Instagram. I have mixed feelings about how that whole thing ended, but the immature and petty 16-year-old in me feels so vindicated that he came around and I was the one who rejected him. He has since found a girlfriend that's a better fit than I am. I just wish I had a time machine so I could tell high school me to stop crying over a boy that later, when given the opportunity, you would walk away from. Dang! What a moment! God, that is what since you've been gone, dreams are made of. Yeah. <sighs> She also said I have a ridiculous main character airplane meet cute gone wrong. I know it's not one of the things you called out for, so I won't share, but oh, I want to hear <laughs> by all means. I love a meet cute. That's really funny. You guys have the best stories. Actually, I'm going to pop back over to the Facebook group. I read some of them last time, but we stopped recording. Uh... I tried out for the basketball team in fifth grade to get a boy's attention. I got cut from the team. It was a club team, so they technically weren't allowed to make cuts. My talent was so overwhelming, they sent a letter home to my parents saying they just couldn't handle it. No, I, I relate. Somebody said, I did the same except for track. I was in eighth grade and sat in the middle of the track, hanging out with friends and flirting with them. I honestly don't remember running in any meets. Yeah, I did track too. I think I did triple jump. And it, track was like a great opportunity to hang out with people and say, like, I don't really run. I excel at the field sports. But then you could just sit in the middle of the track. And like a, you, a lot of like mega hotties did shop up, like the trench ball. Uh, went to an MLB game with a group 
one guy had gone out with and his friend who I wanted to date. I took the sports section of the newspaper the week before we went and memorized all of the players' batting averages so I could talk baseball like one of the guys. <laughs> That's relatable. <laughs> uh, got a tattoo and live my best life when my once love of my life left to support his ex. Oh, you got a tattoo as like revenge? Oh my God. About him? Was it like a song quote? I'm dying to know. <laughs> I used to dye my hair red and had a boyfriend who always told me I'd look better blonde. The night after he broke up with me, I had friends come over and bleach my hair. Red to blonde must be done by a professional in three teens with Sally's supplies turned out terribly. <laughs> oh, and then somebody said that makes me think of the, the scene in Gilmore Girls where Rory dyes Lane's hair purple and immediately black in the same day. Absolutely. This person said, I, I'm just going to pepper around. I didn't realize there, there's a lot of uh, responses. Um... You guys are so generous with your life stories. We went to a water park and had some random lady take pictures of us attempting VS swimwear poses in the water. Then we posted them on Facebook. We thought we looked super hot. We were like 15. <laughs> I love that it was at a water park, not a beach, not a pool. <laughs> water country USA. Like how gross are lazy rivers though? I would sooner go to Susie's school than stay at a Grey Wolf Lodge. Indoor water park is an extra level of special. Uh... Though I can understand why kids like it. No offense if you go. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm trying to scroll through these and just pick random ones that aren't stories we've had yet. Because, uh, like, we're all the same person and we've all done these things and I'm dying. I made a Facebook account for a guy and I would write comments on my wall to make it seem like I had someone to crush on me to make my ex jealous. Then I also made one for a female friend and I added my ex and a bunch of his random friends. <laughs> Honestly, I was just curious about them. It wasn't anything major. I get it. Some light research. Live, laugh, love, lurk. Created a fake Facebook profile for a guy named Rob. Classic. Using stock photos I found online to make my boyfriend now husband. He still doesn't know I do this jealous. Every now and then a comment from him will pop up on my FB memories. <laughs> Cringe. Oh my god, my friend Allie said she created one for a guy named Noah and her and all her girlfriends would use it when we needed to make someone jealous. In eighth grade, a boy dumped me, so my mom helped me curl my hair and do my makeup every day before school. That's so sweet. <laughs> my hair is naturally wavy-ish, and the guy I dated throughout high school always told me he liked it natural curly, but I wasn't having it and continued to straighten it. When he broke up with me, I went full-on curly, like really committed to the curly girl method for like five months and took a lot of selfies for social media so he could see my curly hair thriving without him. <laughs> learned every word to ludicrous <laughs> sorry i sound like that annoying guy on tiktok who fake laughs learned every word but i'm not fake laughing learned every word to ludicrous what's your fantasy as a never been kissed 13 year old i had no business knowing all those words <laughs> backseat windows up um in first grade question mark my boyfriend dumped me because I refused to nominate him for Word of the Week. My BFF decided that she, the way to show him was a revenge dress. She instructed me to wear my best dress for picture day the next day. I went home and thought long and hard about it. Finally, the answer came to me. I believe I lied about it being show and tell day or something, so my parents didn't know my plan. That was the day I wore a dress my Nana made me, a copy of the gold dress of Bells and Beauty and the Beast. Needless to say, the class picture was a little extra that year. My parents refused to order my pictures. Uh, I mean, I get it. When it came to Olin Mills, we were a package J family. We just got a couple wallets, and these kids would 
you know, get their pictures back. And they were like 18 by 30s and like mouse pads. Like, Jesus, your parents love you. I'm just kidding. Mine did too. But it's like you really don't need a mouse pad if your face K through 12. But <laughs> honestly, I'll, I'll pro- I would probably be so extra. I'd get like blankets. Uh, I would do that for Tugboat. But honestly, your story works because uh, what are the words? To- I mean, people... Like, the way people were looking at you were probably the way people looked at Belle. Like, look, there she goes. That girl is strange, no question. Dazed and distracted, can't you tell? <laughs> no denying she's a funny girl, that Belle. <laughs> I love that story so much. Let's see. Committed to the bit of having a fake boyfriend in California. So exotic. I lived in New Mexico. Named Alan. <laughs> that name choice. I'd write letters as if he mailed them to me and would bring them to school so everyone could see that a California boy was interested in me. I mean, <laughs> laugh that it was a California boy. You're probably watching a lot of like California dreams, save at the bell and the like. But also, if I wanted to pretend like a surfer boy was into me, I think I'd probably name him like Brock, you know, or like Blake. I feel like if your name is Blake, you surf or a skateboard. Maybe Kyle. I don't know. Ellen's very funny to me. <laughs> uh put a public facebook status about witnessing something at a club downtown to make it seem like i was out partying when i just drove by the incident after work (laughs) lied about having seen spider-man to impress my crush because it would have been so embarrassing to say i haven't seen it yet oh are you kidding like i lie i I, i've had to lie about every movie ever because i actually don't have extensive movie knowledge when it comes to movies guys think are funny like dumb and dumber i'm not sorry a lot of people think dumb and dumber is funny but like guy friends growing up were really into like Will Ferrell movies and movies like Dumb and Dumber that just weren't my humor. But I was always like, oh my God, yeah, Wayne's World. Like, oh God, they're like so funny with their hats and their hair and the, 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 the couch. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I set up my digital camera in my bedroom with an actual tripod and took the cringiest selfies of all time, which I would post to Facebook with captions from songs. I, from songs I knew the guy I was targeting with these posts liked, and I would bring the pictures up in casual conversation with them to make sure he saw them and knew I was a cool girl who knew the music he liked. I also forced my friends to take photos of me looking breezy as hell and post to their Facebook pages to really get the message out there that I was cute and fun. (laughs) Oh my god. And she posted one of the photos. It's so good. Oh, it's like taken in a high school. Like, (laughs) um... Uh, I love, are you in a vague marketing job? Because I really just appreciate you being intentional about expanding your reach, making sure you saw the photos. At maybe 11 or 12, I had this idea that tragic romance was, well, romantic. I wrote a note to the boy I had a crush on and put it in his locker. The note said, I can never face you again. I wrote it on a Tuesday in the middle of the school week and had science class with him the next day, where I asked his best friend for a pencil because that would show him what he was missing. Wait, what, what did that note mean? Did you just pick like a pensive phrase? How would he know it's you? Did you write it in pencil? (laughs) I'm so confused. (laughs) Regardless, that's a really funny note to slip in someone's locker. It feels very cat from 10 Things I Hate About You, in contrast to Bianca. Obviously, we're all either a cat or a Bianca, you know? Um, In middle school, I was wistfully looking out the window listening to my B-Day mix CD, a compilation I made at my birthday party on Kazaa. (laughs) <laughs> burned it and gave to the eight girls I had selected for my sleepover, obviously. Trying to master that come-hither look and make everyone jealous of my cool, misunderstood, aloof nature. See, aloof! This is what, I mean. we're, we, this is what we're all always trying to do, is act like we don't care, when we care the most. My crush asked who I was listening to, and I said, I don't know who I'm listening to, to try and make him jealous of the deep thoughts I kept to myself. Uh, <laughs> 
He said, whatever, I honestly don't care, and clearly meant it. I ran after him to tell him it's the song story of a girl. <laughs> and I really don't know the band, so I wasn't just, like, blowing him off, even though I was to make him jealous. Definitely mastered that aloof Luke. Okay, that's actually a really good anecdote for when you act in a way that is not natural to your personality, and you're kind of rude to somebody and, like, trying really hard to be rude because you're not naturally rude, and then the person reacts poorly and not in the way you wanted them to to go and then take it back and then have to backpedal is like so sad and more desperate than if you were just nice in the first place. And I relate to that wholeheartedly. I'm running out of time. These are all so good. Let me just scroll a bit. Uh, okay, last night I was reading these thinking I've never done this. Legit married my first and only boyfriend, but then this morning on my Facebook memories, this popped up. I was picking up my very platonic female friend from the airport, but posted this, and my now husband legit texted me after this and asked me out. So basically, I succeeded in making him jealous. And she later said, he denies this worked, but I like to think it was so subliminal, he didn't know what I did to him. And actually, this is so simple and effective. She said on February 14th, 2009, uh, her name, sorry, <laughs> is picking up my Valentine from the airport. That is the That is artful. That is vague. It is not lying. It's not duping anybody. You're, you had a Valentine. That was your best gal, pal. And nobody needed to know who it was. And that is so vague and threatening to think you have a Valentine. Because, like, God, that, that basically means you are getting married. So he had to intervene. I totally agree. That is why he reached out. A hundred percent. That's amazing. I went to a private school that had 6 through 12 grades in the same building. I was in 6th grade and Kyle Jackson, the quarterback of the football team, was in 12th. I was president of his fan club, the QTK JFC, cutie Kyle Jackson family. <laughs> it consisted of me and my girlfriends, and we would send him red hot flavored suckers and flowers for V-Day through the band's fundraiser. Totally not ashamed to admit it. Fast forward like eight years, I'm at an Auburn football tailgate, and he's there with my boyfriend's cousin, and my boyfriend says, Hey, Jamie, weren't you the president of a fan club for Kyle? When we were all chatting, I took it in stride and smiled and said yes. He laughed and said he remembered it vaguely and thought it was cute. Honestly, he was a babe. Then he was a babe now. I'd do it again. Bop, bop. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is a good sport. I like, I mean, it's like even, I don't actually want people to not be doing well. Uh, but it's it's cool that not all uh, not all those who uh, burn bright burn out fast. I'm skimming. I just saw an Ali Najee reference. I'm interested. Uh Freshman year, my college BFFs at the time on again, off again, boyfriend didn't even call her on her birthday, even though they were off again on said birthday. But like, come on. So with the help of Ellie and AJ, I helped her craft the perfect Facebook status of, and normally I would just forget that, except for the fact it was my birthday, my stupid birthday. <laughs> it got him to call. See, but okay, we, we are masters of our craft. It is only pathetic if it is not effective. And more often than not, these things are. If done subtly, uh, I think a lot of away message intrigue like, definitely does work. Um, in college, during one of those painful, long, drawn-out weepy breakup talks, my almost ex was like, I'm going to go back to my dorm and get some sleep. We'll just finish talking tomorrow. I was just sad and angry and felt like he owed me a better wrap-up to the conversation. Oh, I, I obsessively need good wrap-ups to romantic conversations. I hate when they're open-ended. Um... So an hour or two later, after drinking champagne while crying in the shower, obviously, I went over to his building and told the front desk people I needed to be let up to a room because I left my inhaler in my boyfriend's room in order to be buzzed in without a student ID for that dorm. Never used or needed an inhaler in my life. Only the security guard insisted on walking up with me. So I... <laughs>
<laughs> so I had to knock on his door with his guard behind me and be like, yes, I'm here for my inhaler. <laughs> like the true psychopath I am. Oh my God. In eighth grade, I read about a super cool trend that makes your hair silky and smooth. So before my first house party with my crush, I decided to try it. His ex would be there too, so I really needed to up my game. I rummaged through the, through the pantry for a fresh jar of mayonnaise and took a shower with the tub in hand. I tenderly coated each long lock with a hair mask, she spelled it M-A-S-Q-U-E, and gave myself a full blow dry and went upstairs to pick out which of my three American Eagle shirts I was going to wear that night. What the article didn't say ended up being the clincher. It's never said to wash the mayo out. So obviously, assuming it just needed longer and <laughs> dry time, I went to the party, truly thought I was looking to fly because everyone asked me what I had done to my hair. I was thinking it must have dried out and worked great. I was so confident that I convinced the other eighth graders how cool of a move it was <laughs> and walked away completely unscathed. I thank the middle school gods every day that I didn't incur the childhood trauma that I could have in this moment and instead walked away with a boyfriend, though it was probably the American Eagle spaghetti strap. Bless. I mean, those shoulders are sexy according to my youth group and public school. <laughs> oh, wait, I didn't even go. I haven't even gone through all the emails. Man, I, somehow I still have more stories. I didn't go through all the Facebook ones. Um, you guys are awesome. Um, ooh, this is kind of ending on a positive-ish note. Somewhat funny story about my now husband lying to impress me. We were both on a work trip overseas. I love this, that he's lying to impress you. Let me move my mic, sorry. Uh, these... Trips brought together people who all technically work for the same company, but rarely know each other. Everyone is usually 25 to 30 and works extremely stressful jobs. Throw them together for a week full of an all-expenses-paid trip that is 80% touring drinking and 20% work meetings and magic can happen. On this particular trip, I had way too many drinks one night and was determined to put my feet into this particular ocean I had never seen before. And it needed to be right then, around 1 in the morning. My sweet husband was the only one in the group who indulged me. He came along with me. I vaguely remember climbing over a few barriers, took pictures so I could brag about it on Facebook, then kindly walked me back to my room and didn't try anything at all. Seeing how I was in a different country where I didn't speak the language, not my finest moment. I mean, you know, whatever, live your life. Uh, at that point, I was in love with this guy who I'd known for three days. He was very attractive, seemed to be in good shape, so I decided to be somewhat coy the next morning and ask if he wanted to go for a run with me on the boardwalk. He immediately said yes and ran like it was part of his everyday routine. He then proceeded to join me each morning for a run for the rest of the week. We started dating when we got back and running became part of our couple's routine and ran a few 5Ks, 10Ks together. It wasn't until we were engaged that he admitted the very first time he'd ever ran since high school and that he absolutely hates running. He hasn't run since. Now, almost 10 years later, we've been married almost six years, have two kids and joke that we were only together because he was patient enough to indulge in my drunk fantasy of putting my feet in the ocean and pretend to love running. I love that. And I love an example of a dude doing that too. Because I'm sure they do it all the time. That's the thing. I think it's, an, it's a human instinct. I think like there's more cultural and societal influences that suggest women modify their behavior, or act a certain way to seem desirable to the male gaze. But at the same time, it's like, I think, I think, yeah, I, I make, you know, blankets, scarves and blanket statements are what we do here at Be There in Five. I, I make so many sweeping generalities. But, like, I think women are more like, like in the, our younger years, we were more likely to pander to this idea of what we thought men wanted. But I do think that men, when they meet people they really like, will modify themselves to fit the individual person, right? Because, actually, when you think of dudes who probably pander to things they think women want, like guys that, I don't know, say things like leg day and i'm just kidding but you know it's like sports cars and money and like working out and like I, all that stuff makes me want to vomit it's just it's it's not it's 
stereotypes exist for a reason, but they're not necessarily true for everybody. And they often have more to do with uh, like media influenced uh, gender based tropes and they are grounded in actual reality. Um, and I think both sides can modify their behavior to fit the right person. Uh, and when it's for the wrong reasons, like pandering to like chicks love muscles and cars, it's like gross. But if somebody modifies their behavior to fit your interests, like it's so sweet. And, and equally, I think there's a lot of st probably success stories, too, of people modifying their behavior to do something, you know, so they could be more involved or engaged with uh, the life of somebody they liked. Right. I mean, I did it, too. Are you kidding me? I, I there, there's evidence of me playing guitar in Greg's room in New York, like within two weeks of me meeting him. Like, what? <laughs> uh, it's, I think it's sweet when you do things because you want to share interests, right? But it's not okay to do things because you think you have to be a certain way to be lovable because you absolutely don't. And if you are inspired to share interests and have commonalities with people, that's really cool. And may they be reciprocated. And if they are not, you know that you deserve better. But in the event you are doing things because you just think generalized dudes need something from women as a whole to make them desirable, lovable, effable, whatever it is, uh, please, by all means, get rid of whoever it is you're hanging out with and only spend time with people who uh, absolutely allow you to double down on exactly who you are because they exist. And uh, after uh, that was one of my bigger learnings is... Uh, when I met my now husband and I, the biggest mark for me of, of him being the right person is, is not faking an ounce of my being. And I'd, I'd felt like my past relationships to quote John Mayer's comfortable. I, I was posing for pictures that weren't being taken. I, I very much subscribed to that for far too long. And, uh, these stories make me laugh and break my heart all the same, <laughs> but hopefully we're, we're all on the other side. I think the important part is to laugh about it, right? There are times we didn't know better, and the influences that make us act this way are often not great. But at the same time, I find something empowering about being like, that was ridiculous, that was funny, that isn't shameful. I am a product of my environment. I am a product of what I saw on TV, how my peers acted. And I think the other thing, too, that I don't know enough about the psychology of is like the Roys and the Johns of the world just get raised further and further on their pedestals the less interest they show in us right and it's almost not even real it's like i don't i wish there was a better word for like than love for unrequited love because i think the experience of love inherently uh suggests that it's being reciprocated and i think that i mistook a lot of my obsessions for guys that weren't interested in me and a lot of how it affected my ego and sense of belonging as me being in love when really I think I was just harping on the absence of something and on my feelings being hurt and on comparing myself to the other people they chose over me. And I don't even know. It's a whole thing. But uh, I just hope we all as adults can look back and laugh at the times we were probably a little too influenced by our environments because we hadn't met ourselves yet. But now knowing ourselves well, understanding the luxury and necessity of being allowing yourself rather to simply exist uh and more importantly to carry with you a disposition of you'd be lucky to have me because as i said earlier to me the mark of a person that i really enjoy being around that i think is special is is 
putting effort into thing is things it's paying, paying attention to, to details and a level of earnestness in what you do and uh, these stories are just so heartwarming in a sense of the level of like thought and care and paying attention that went into doing something like getting a yellow card <laughs> signature on a yellow piece of construction paper um, or in trying to adapt somebody's hobbies and interests and memorize baseball card stats and uh, you know fake your <laughs> fake your friend's death <laughs> I forgot about this until that point. Oh my god, R.I.P. her, R.I.P. me. Um, I just, I don't know, I think it's just like a funny, charming thing of uh, caring so deeply, putting so much effort into stuff, and being a person that loves hard, right? There there are far worse ways to be. I, I just spent, you know, so much time trying to be somebody else that... I don't know, maybe they would have liked me if I was just myself, you know? It's hard to say even, because I, I, I was putting so much thought into playing the game. Like, I don't even, I, I probably got so far from reality trying to act like the women I, you know, that I saw men wanted or like my friends that guys desired. And it's just, I don't know, I really, everyone says it, but like it's confidence does just makes such a difference. Uh, and... Confidence is being exactly who you are, and I just wish I'd been doing that this whole time. I mean, I'm thinking about the ending of my book, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. It's like, it's like Twinkle Twinkle S0CC3RA11 star. There's so much more to who you are, you know? We just always got to remind ourselves that. Anyway, I got to close out. Uh, this is so much fun. I, I laughed. I cried. I hyperventilated i can't believe somebody faked a death by a pond <laughs> oh gosh it was such a good time all around i had never got to the embarrassing things because i just felt like it was more it was fun to keep it on theme go through these stories i'll probably do that next week just do another fun light episode and then we'll also have some guest bonus episodes coming up soon from different people that'll be super fun and please 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 buy a ticket to Barkhart sports my live show um it is on March 11th. It's a Thursday, 9.05 p.m. Eastern. If you're working or have plans during that time, you can watch it for like 24 hours after, maybe 48 if I'm feeling generous and I liked the show. I think I have control over that. Um, and it's just going to be really fun. I'm working on content for it and it's different than the podcasts. And I don't know. I just, I, I hope you'll consider. It would mean a lot to me. Uh, and then to get bonus content, go to patreon.com slash be there in five. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That's where I did like the 45 minute video episode with my sister about Taylor Swift's love story that turned into talking about how Kelly was in an MLM. Uh, that's where we did like a two hour long career talk. That's where the PowerPoint parties are. There's one coming up next week, uh, among other things like my uh, screenplay for if Gilmore Girls was in quarantine. Uh, oh, and there's a Mary Kate and Ashley deep dive on Patreon, too among other things. But anyway, you guys. Oh, and there's an Anna Delvey one. I, and she just got out of jail. There's a lot of stuff on there. Uh, anyway, you guys, you're the best. I love you so much. Thank you for listening. Uh, leave a review if you liked this. Share with a friend or on your Instagram store if you liked it. It means the absolute world. I'm not just saying that. Um, email me at podcast at be there in five com if you need. And thank you, thank you, thank you for the privilege of your time. As always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. 